This week, a group of Tennessee tax student-athletes asked a group of Tennessee legislators to sit down and discuss a recent letter about the national anthem and protest. The legislators asked the heads of the state universities to stop the protest. The Tennessee tech group named Code wants to better understand why. The group is made up of student-athletes across campus. Dane Quest, Jamal Thompson, and Ezra Penzer are parts of Code. Dane, let me start with you. How would you describe Code? I would describe Code as a family. I would describe Code as a place of healing, a place of empowerment, a place of education for student-athletes to come together and to promote diversity, respect, and unity, not only within Tennessee Tech grounds, but also on a, on a broader scale. Um, that's what I would describe Code as. Jamal, how did you come to the organization? Um, I, along with Dane and uh, several other student athletes, helped form the organization. And um, it, it initially began because it was a clear um, desire amongst student athletes to you know, want to be together and communicate with one another on a daily basis. Due to COVID and due to the natural busyness of playing different sports, we really don't see each other that much. So it was a it was a desire amongst really all student athletes to come together and and kind of mingle but also you know tackle real issues that we're facing as student athletes within our community within our campus but you know also broader issues but also just like Dane said be a family with one another and and come together and you know have open and honest dialogue and that was that was the biggest vision for code in the beginning and um, I'm happy with where we are right now Ezra, what have you taken from the organization so far? I don't think it's much of a secret that the student-athletes at Tech are probably the most diverse group in Cookville and probably the surrounding area. Um, and so, and first, it's really not even close, is it? I, and as far as I can tell, it is it's not, not close. close. Yeah. And um, so uh, what I think has been most special to me is it, it kind of started out as a safe place, right, for these more diverse populations to feel like, here's some people like me. Right. But what grows out of that, and it's right in the name, the Center of Diversity Education, is that when we come together and we find a voice as a diverse population, we can start using that voice in the community. And so once we build relationships with each other, we are able to increase our network and start to use this voice that we found with each other to start going out from us to more people and affect more people outside of just our code group. It's one thing to talk about these issues, but to actually pull together an organization and want it to do more than just be a place to sit around and talk. Kind of where did that come from? Was that, was that just a central idea as right. you came together? It really happened organically, um, to be quite honest with you. And it, it, it really stems from all of the code members being leaders at, at heart. So when you put a group of leaders in um, and a group with one another, it only breeds greatness and it only, you know, breeds ideas and and um, resolutions and solutions to existing problems. So it happened very organically and it, it happened because, you know, a, a group of student athletes, highly intelligent student athletes desire to see change in their community and desire to be a part of the change instead of just talking about it. We, you know, we yearn and aspire to be invested in bring some action along with uh, the the conversations as well. There's kind of four words 
that you talk about a lot. Uh, Dane, can you talk about diversity, equality, justice, respect? How'd you decide on that? Well, we, well, in initial stages when we were putting together code, we wanted to just put, um, when we were establishing the organization, we wanted to have words that really brought out what code wanted to be about. And we felt that those words definitely um, carried a lot of weight and definitely uh, encompassed what we were trying to, you know, get done um, as a whole. And what JT, just to piggyback off of what JT was talking about in regards to how um, code came about that summer, well, last summer, um, actually a little bit, you know, I think we just passed the one-year anniversary of Ahmaud Arbery's passing and everything, all those traumatic events, the passing of African-American individuals to or by the hands of law enforcement, those things struck, you know, a lot of a lot of frustration among student athletes. Um, and they felt moved and they felt compelled to actually do something about it and, and definitely preach those things. With you, like you said, diversity, inclusion, not only within Tennessee Tech, but hopefully on a broader scale and on a much larger scale and be transformational that way. So we brought together a whole lot of student athletes that, like JT said, that were passionate, that were frustrated, but they were able to channel those that anguish, that frustration, and trying to put something like code together so that we can um, be transformational. That's, that's essentially it. Yeah. Dane Quest, Jamal Thompson, and Ezra Penzer are parts of code. Speaking about diversity and pushing for diversity in a population like Cookville, Tennessee, that you know is significantly lacking in diversity was was important and you know it matters to all of us and then you know you look at Ezra who has been really the the man behind the scenes who really helps code move he's he's really the backbone essentially and he's not a minority he's not he's not black right so I think that that really embodies at heart what code is um you know continuing to strive for greatness but also pushing for for diversity and you know redefining the defined of what a student athlete is and how people feel like you know we should be put into a box essentially you know just overcoming ourselves each and every day so that point to that point Ezra why Mm -hmm. was it important to you why well I think that my experience started right when Dane was talking about a little bit later um, after the murdering of George Floyd we had a team meeting with basketball, and I, I get a chance to work for the basketball team at Tech. And we kind of talked about what we were feeling, and I didn't know what to say. I think a lot of other white people would have said the same thing. And so I called up one of our coaches, Coach King, afterwards and said, look, man, I think there is a problem here, and I want to help. I have no idea what to do. And he said, don't overcomplicate it because you've already got steps one and two right He said, first of all, you have a relationship with me that you can call and ask. And you have a relationship with all the other guys on the team who are the majority are black. And he said, two, you're asking the question, what can I do? Which is kind of shows an admittance of I don't know what to do. Um, And so just taking that attitude forward, a willingness to say, what can I do to help? I'm not a minority. Tell me about your experience and let's build a relationship together and that has been such a positive experience for me that it makes it simple for me to want to do that for other people, to want to continue to create a space where people can come together 
regardless of their differences, whether their differences are opinion, whether their differences are just what sport they play, whether their differences are skin color, and being able to come together, have an openness, have a humility, and be ready to build a relationship. Why do you think it is so difficult to talk about race? I think that it's a sensitive topic because um, there are so many places where there's differences. And as a culture, we want to make differences better or worse. And so every time JT and I bring up our differences, it's like, oh, but is he he better at that? Um, I'll just go right to the obvious one. And it's uncomfortable for me to talk about this, which is, I think, perfect for your question. Because if I'm like, I don't know how to go into this, it's exactly what you're getting at. I'm a white dude. JT is a black dude. JT is much more athletic than me. Dane is a black dude. Dane is much more athletic than me. Nobody is questioning that, but it's something that's kind of odd to talk about. And it's something that we need to address because it does not make me a worse person. It does not make them a better person. We are just different. And I think that right now in so many areas, we want to create these, if we are different, one of us has to be better. One of us has to be right. One of us has to be wrong. One of us has to be more powerful. No, our differences are what they are. And we are always going to be different. That's just a fact of our life. And so we need to get to a point where we can discuss differences without this abstract hierarchy of better or worse, but simply this is who I am. This is who you are. Let's talk about it. And then in addition to that, I think it's difficult to talk about race because there are far more easier things to discuss, right? It's nobody wants to talk about the elephant in the room. There, there have been times where I have walked into a room and I'm the only African-American male in that or African-American period in that room. And rather than, you know, speak about it or have somebody speak to me about it or how does that make me feel or whatever the case may be, it's much easier to talk about, you know, things that we may have in common. So whether that's right or wrong, I don't know, but I think that's where we are in a society. And I think code is helping, you know, make it a little bit easier to talk about how just because we look different and uh, may appear different on the outside, that there are a lot more things that bring us together. And I think that's the most important thing. Is this generation, is your generation more willing to talk about it, more comfortable talking about it? I think one thing I noticed in my conversations with race or about, you know, about race amongst people, they find it hard to come to the realization that, actually, no, let me rephrase that. So I think it's not a matter of like your difference of opinion or some people be when they have conversations, they'll look at it and they'll look at the manner in which something is said as opposed to actually realizing the differences. So like how someone's coming across, is it aggressive? Is it hostile? You know what I mean? So a lot of people, and that's why the message kind of gets diluted because they're so wrapped up in, well, how is this person saying it to me? No, it's just a matter of, this is my experience. This is what I go through. These are the microaggressions as a black person that I go through every single day. It's not about, you know, what I'm feeling. Yes, I'm going to be feeling upset or feeling, you know, um, frustrated about, you know, certain things that I have to endure. 
Um, but it's not supposed to come across as like me, like like Ezra said, maybe condescending or me thinking that my problems are better than yours or anything like that. It's just these are the these are the this is the evidence that I have. This is the this is my experience, and I think the challenges with our generation is that we're we we for lack of a better term, we are soft and we can't really engage in that without somebody saying, well, you know, I think you're just going over the top with that. I feel like you're coming across as hostile as opposed to, in other words, you're not listening to the content or listening to the message. You're just listening to how it's mess. I mean, how it's come across. Right? The delivery. How the delivery. Exactly. So um, I think those are the challenges when you have conversation, but I think there has to be a maturity level. And I think that's why code, we have a lot of, um, student athletes who, and we have a lot of, we have a few white student athletes who are comfortable and who have the maturity to understand that, um, it's not about how things are, you know, to deliver anything. We're just here to listen and try to, you know, acknowledge your experience and, you know, vice versa. The center of diversity education on the Tennessee tech campus made up of student athletes, we're visiting with Ezra Pinzer, Jamal Thompson, Dane Quest. What goes through your mind when you hear someone say, whether it's pro, college, athletes should just play ball? I, I can answer that one. It's very frustrating, right? Because you know you hear the the, the slogan nowadays, more than more than an athlete, um, and I think that rings true, and that is something that deeply resonates with me because I'm I'm a black man first before I'm an athlete. So to insinuate that I should just shut up and not speak on things that um are important to me or that literally affect me on a daily basis, it's it's almost insulting in a way. Um so to to and it, and it really goes back to what I said earlier just as a, as a student athlete, we are oftentimes put into a box and saying like, okay, this is your lane, stay in it. You're, you're getting scholarship to go to universities to dribble a basketball or throw a football or jump over hurdles, and that is what you should do, as opposed to using your platform and you know change the narrative of literally what a student athlete is and what a student athlete has been up until this point, really. And, um, and I think that's what code is embodying is it serves as a an advocate for all student athletes to encourage people who you know may not like to speak out but realize like you guys have a platform to to and and not only a platform a responsibility to to speak on things that that are important like this guy right here dan quest shyest guy in the room he's, he's a soft-spoken individual but in the last few months he's really stepped up and become more of a leader and I think I'm not incorrect in saying that he realizes the the power that his words have and how important it is to use his platform and use his voice because one, it's important, and two, when he speaks, people listen. So, do you all feel that responsibility? I definitely do. Yeah, I mean, I think that the fact that as athletes and essentially entertainers, um, these humans are in the spotlight. They have a public forum, um, and there's nothing essentially anybody can do about that. These people are going to be in the public eye, and their voice is going to be heard simply from the fact that they're good at sports. That is where we're at. And so when you look at it, 
you're saying, all right, this person has an increased voice over this person. And I think in a way, what you can do to that is two responses. One, you can say, everybody is listening to you, so don't talk because you might mess up. And I think that is what the, you didn't use these words, but I'll say shut up and dribble because we're used to that. Um, that's what that sentiment kind of gets at is we don't know if you're going to say the right thing. You have a public platform, so mm -mm, be quiet. I just don't think that's a good solution. I think that's a short-sighted solution, and I almost think it's a little bit of a lazy solution. I think the superior solution is to educate these people, and I think that's where it's the responsibility of the student-athlete, among other people, to realize I have this voice. I have a tremendous opportunity to do good. I need to be the one to be responsible enough to go out and educate myself so that I use this voice in the right way. And I think that should be the pressure that we do feel, um, that athletes feel, not to don't say anything wrong, but a pressure to prepare yourself that when the opportunity presents itself for you to speak out and be heard, you're ready and you say the right thing and you do what is truly best for yourself and your community. Uh I mean, I also think that there's a stereotype surrounding athletes, especially football players. Like, you guys are lacking in intelligence. Maybe, you know, the, the dumb jock stereotype, right? So I think even in addition to that, I think it's it's imperative that we continue to, you know, redefine that narrative and, and show that there's a lot of intelligence within a, a lot of different individuals and about a vast array of subjects. Um and especially subjects concerning things that impact us on a daily basis. So I think that is why it's important to um, use the platform that sports has granted us. And you can either use it for good or, or use it for bad. And I think a lot of people up until this point are electing to use it for good. And I think that's, that is very important to just, you know, redefine that narrative. Dane, what kind of things have you seen codes specifically do to try to increase the discussion and 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 build that cohesion across campus. Yeah, I mean, I think JT um, has done a tremendous job in just being transparent with us. You know, we have meetings every week. Um, I know now with him being in season and a lot more student athletes being in season, it's kind of been hard to meet. Um, and in the midst of this pandemic, you know, everything as well. You know, what I mean, it's been hard, but despite those challenges, despite those obstacles, we've been able to come together, um, have discussion, um, formulate plans and and ide and just have discussions about what's been going on. And um, you know, JT's been and Ezra as well. Um, you know, they've they've been transparent and letting us know, um, keeping us informed or uh organizing meetings so that we can, you know, have these uh, very important discussions. So um, that's what I'd say about that. Is it fair to say, Jamal, that it was very important to you and, and the leadership that this be more than just we're going to talk about things, but we're actually going to do some things? Absolutely. Um, in my short 21 years, it, anytime a controversial situation happens, like the, the murdering of George Floyd this past summer or the murdering of Breonna Taylor, like and I can go on, the list is very long, it's – it's a cycle of, okay, everybody is upset about it, people talk about it, and then life goes on. And then it, it cycles through the, the, the situation again, and then there there is really no concrete action and concrete measure taken after that. And 
for me, that was extremely upsetting and painful to watch because it almost seems like, you know, the, these people are losing their lives for nothing because there, there, there is, there is nothing happening after that. Um, to to your question of the to putting the action behind it, like we had a we had a a, a march uh, a march in Cookville, Tennessee on on campus, and that was probably one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen because it was diversity truly exemplified and just like you said it's kind of difficult to have conversations about things like that but when you when you look out and you see asian white black all marching peacefully for the same thing and that is the promotion of diversity but also you know to to exemplify what what can happen when everybody gets on one accord i think that was probably the most beautiful thing that i've ever seen and i think that is um uh, only a sneak peek of what what can happen if everybody you know just truly decides to put some action and some some substance behind the, these very impactful and um, important conversations that we're having. So last week, uh, Tennessee's Republican Senate uh, group uh, sent a letter to the universities across the state, basically saying that they were not happy with some of the decisions that had been made. Uh, as it relates to the national anthem, um, several this has happened at a couple of universities. I, I know it happened on the Tech campus. It happened with the Lady Vols in a particular situation. Jamal, when you saw that letter, what ran through your mind? It, it was um, it was confusing, and it was also upsetting because I think that. You know, it's, it's a, a clear-cut example of misdirection kind of prevailing once again. I think that the manner in which people are electing to protest is to kneel during the anthem. But it has never been about the national anthem or the flag. It is um, uh, essentially a cry for help and a plead for racial inequality and social injustice to, to stop, as well as police brutality. Um so to be in opposition of that in any way, it's concerning to me and it's discouraging to me. Uh, and not only that, it kind of validates the, the notion that athletes should just shut up and dribble to say that the First Amendment does not essentially protect us while we are representing a university. That, that's problematic because Dane is a black man first. Jamal is a black man first. Ezra is a white man first. <laughs> um, so it's it's uh it, it it was it was upsetting to to see that, but and, and the knee jerk reaction, which I know Ezra will touch on, it was to knee. But you know, I think we decided that it was more, much more substantial to go about it in a much more calculated way. What went through your mind then? I was frustrated as well. Um, Confused as well. Um, <laughs> it, was just, it was a lot of things that were running through my mind. And similarly to what Jamal was saying, it just furthers the idea that um, this belief, this notion that we should not, or black student-athletes, you know, should not have it, or we should not have an opinion. Student-athletes should not have an opinion, particularly um, black student-athletes. Um they deemed it as when I was reading the article that JT and as I said in, in our group chat for code and they deemed it as unconstitutional 
for us to for us to kneel. But I just find that strange because this is we're using a public forum. You know, whenever the national anthem is being played, that is a public forum where we're standing together or our arms are linked together. That is our expression. And I think kneeling is a part of that expression. Um, and we are trying to tackle something that has devastated America for far too long. Um, and so that brought that brought a lot of frustration. That brought a lot of anger to me. Um, I think that JT and Ezra did a tremendous job um, crafting a letter, um, trying to meet with the senator, um, trying to meet with those legislators so that we can have, and as Ezra and JT um, eloquently put, just some mutual education. Because I think that's, a, that's lacking. You would think that everything that transpired from 2020 with the murders, the police brutality, the systemic, the racial um, injustices that transpired, that there would be, um, I guess you can say, some sort of awareness of what's been going on. But clearly, these people in power seem to revert back to old ideologies. And um, it's definitely disheartening, but it just gives me and these two gentlemen, as well as Dr. Baker, who's here, more ammunition to keep going and to continue to um, thread the needle and, and push the envelope, push the agenda for, for, for change um, today and and for um, for the days to come. Ezra, was it a difficult decision to decide to invite the senators to the tech campus to talk about it? Um, yeah, in a way, as these two guys alluded to, um, when that first comes out, there's an emotional response um, that I think most red-blooded Americans would feel as in, whoa, attack on my freedom. You can't do that. You told me not to kneel. I know I have that right. Watch me go do it. And I think that was most of our initial response was, when's the next event that we can go kneel at? Um, but when it comes down to it, you start to realize, you know, that's the emotional reaction. But why can't I kneel? Oh, because I have the right. Do I know that I have that right? Yes. I am blessed to live in a country where we have freedom to express ourselves. So is that really the issue here? No, the issue is not whether I can kneel or not. There is an issue, though, that there is obviously a disconnect, though, between these student-athletes and what they want and what they're trying to express and what our government officials and what many in the community are seeing and hearing. And so even though I think we're all on the same page of saying, this world isn't perfect, let's improve it, obviously there is a pretty wide divide in how we're looking to improve it and what we're seeing the issues are. And so I think the decision to reach out to the senator, when you think about it that way, or all the senators really, becomes more of a simple one. Because you realize the issue is not whether or not they are physically taking away our freedoms right now. They aren't. But there is an issue that we're not on the same page. And what we believe can fix that is dialogue, is relationships. And I think um, one thing that really helped us come to that conclusion was um, when we first established code, one of the first things that we did um, was establish a partnership with the Cookville PD and Chief Evans. Um, and when there was a lot of 
friction between minorities and the police, Code was able to step in and build a partnership, a strong partnership, not just between a couple people and Chief Evans, but to a point where the Cookville PD are on campus twice a week teaching a class that has primarily minority student-athletes in it. And so it was like, no, we set this precedent. This works. And so we took that knowledge that relationships are powerful, seeing both sides of everything, hearing what the other person has to say is what really can make a difference. I think that's where we will just step up and say, let's try to meet with these men. Let's sit down and talk about it. And we truly think that is what will help us. Our ultimate goal is to promote equality and growth through diversity and having a conversation. I mean, what better way to promote it than that? Do you think they'll respond? I hope so. I mean, if we're if we are all truly fighting for the same thing and, you know, want a better world, essentially, I don't see the harm in having a conversation. So I I'm I am optimistic enough to believe that they will they will respond. If I can I jump in there? Sorry, I kind of cut you off. Uh, my answer is yes, they will respond. There's not an option. Either they say yes, and we meet up and talk, or they say no, and we don't meet up and talk. Um, obviously, we would accept both of those, but nothing is a response. Um, choosing not to sit down and talk with us is a response. So in answer to your question, yes, they will respond. Whether they say we'll say, yes, we'll talk, or no, we can't, I don't know. We hope it's yes. I think it will be, but there will be a response. Did you <laughs> sense, any of you three, did you sense a threat in their letter? Uh, that, I mean, well, that's what it was. <laughs> they were, the, I mean, they, they were <laughs> strongly, strongly suggesting the presidents of these respective universities to put policies and, and mandate a specific way that student athletes should maneuver and move. Um, it, it might not have been, quote-unquote, a threat, but it, it definitely was a strong, strong suggestion. Um, not directly to us, but to the, to, the pre, to the presidents of these respective universities. So, Has Dr. Oldham been supportive of your efforts? Yes. He, he, he has been incredibly supportive, actually. He, he said that, you know, if the student-athletes elected to protest in that manner, then there would be no repercussions from him or any administration at Tennessee Tech. No student-athlete would be in jeopardy of, of losing their athletic scholarship, which the to have that support of the university um, as well as the president, I think, is it, it's extremely, extremely impactful. And encouraging to know, you know, we're not fighting this fight alone, essentially. Let me broaden out the discussion for just a second. Uh, there are a lot of people that feel very strongly that it is um, it's not respectful to kneel during the national anthem, that it is disrespectful of veterans that have given their lives. But I think in the in the interest of dialogue. What, what do you say to those people that feel that way? What, what is it that they maybe don't understand about this issue? Well, I think the first thing we would want to say is it is a sensitive issue. Um, and we would be amiss if we did not address that.
And for us in this room and code as an organization, we decided the best response to that was sensitivity. Um, we have not kneeled at an athletic event during the national anthem. But we don't think that necessarily fixes the problem. Um, we think that deciding not to kneel is the best thing to do to work towards fixing the problem. Not kneeling is not going to fix the problem. The issue is a lack of admittance that there are issues. The issue is a lack of education so that we have the means to move beyond these racial issues. And so we think that the way to work through that is to start educating. Uh, we think how you educate each other is you talk to each other. Um, and so I'd say there's two pieces to that. One, we would like to bring up the idea of freedom and the very thing that those in service fight for, and that is our right to our freedom as Americans. Obviously, we would be wrong to say, we want to preach that message, but we're not going to hear what you say. And that's why we promote conversation. Explain to us what you think the issue is and how you see that not being able to kneel is not an assault on freedom, but rather a sign of respect. Um, we need to be as open as we would ask other people to be. And I think that we are. I think the proof is in the pudding. That's why we're here talking. And so let's talk about it. Yeah, I think it all, I mean, Ezra did a great job in, in, in putting that together. I think it all comes to just an understanding. And yes, there are going to be people that disagree with why we decide to go ahead and kneel. Um, but that is our, now it is our job as leaders um, to educate and inform as to why we are doing this. What's the reasoning behind this? Obviously, it's to promote and to bring awareness to the issues that have been plaguing this country. And for those who still strongly about us not kneeling or feel strongly about standing, then we can, you know, sit down and, and, and acknowledge, you know, how they feel. And yes, there are going to be differences, like I talked about before. There are going to be differences in opinion and how you feel about something. But I think instead of just tuning the other party out because, well, we feel like this doesn't bring up awareness or we feel like this isn't the right way to do it, isn't, isn't um, conducive, I think, to for growth. So I think just having some sort of um, mutual understanding and coming from both sides and hopefully moving forward from that can can help can help facilitate the growth we want to see. Finally, when you talk about concepts like diversity and respect and equality and justice, Jamal, we'll start with you. Are you optimistic that? We're starting to make progress in these uh, areas. I am. I'm, I'm. I am optimistic. I think you know two things that is, that are factual about change is one change is inevitable, and two change is typically slow. Um, I think that we are we are seeing change happen in front of us, um, and I think the opportunity to be a part of the change and be a part of the solution as opposed to being a, a, a part of the problem, is something that we can, you know, no longer elect to 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 not use this platform to promote change and to, to be a part of, of something much bigger than all of us. So I'm very much optimistic that, you know, that, that we are on the right path. But I think, you know, progress is, is slow. And especially, you know, when we are talking about years and years and years 
and years of disparity and 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 conflict um it, it's gonna take time but i know we encode as well as you know my two brothers sitting beside me are are very passionate about being a part of of, of the solution so I, I'm, I'm very much optimistic for it ezra yeah i am optimistic and um jt talked about uh change being inevitable and change being slow and i would put right up with that change is uncomfortable um as humans we like what we know um and in order to improve we know we have to change but man how we are is comfortable um and that's natural to think that way but right now in our country i think there's a lot that's uncomfortable i think we're having uncomfortable conversations i think people are being challenged in their uh, opinions on both sides of the ball um to think about it and in a way the fact that it's uncomfortable right now is encouraging to me because I think when you're uncomfortable, you are challenged to think about how you're doing things. And although it's not always fun to think, well, if I'm going to improve, that means I'm going to have to admit that something I've been doing is not the best way to do it. I think that's where we're at in our community. I think that's where we're at right now on campus at Tech. We are starting to see that, no, maybe the way we have always done it is not necessarily the best way. Um, and in that, I think we're uncomfortable right now. I think that's good because I think we're on our way to change, and I'm encouraged by that. Dang. Well said by my two brothers. I'm definitely optimistic to see what growth we can make um, as an organization and just the people that you encounter every single day. Um, I think that we've had a lot to digest over the past little bit with everything that's been happening, Um, not only with the pandemic of coronavirus but just this pandemic of um just racial injustice and everything as it pertains to race you know what i mean so um i'm encouraged and whenever things like lawmakers or legislators you know saying well we can't do things or another tragic event um happening to someone that looks like myself i mean yes you know things like that those are frustrating but it only brings um it only it only encourages me. It only encourages us to. It encourages members of code just to keep going, because I mean those things. You know, frustration. Yes, you can you can be frustrated, um, but I think that that frustration can only be for just a short period of time. I think you have to just channel that and keep going. And I think um, I think a lot of people are are feeling that, and so. I'm excited to see what happens. Thank you all for being here today. Thank you so Appreciate much for having us. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. Is there any time for a shameless plug? Sure. We would love for everybody to follow us on Twitter at Code TN Tech as well as Instagram, Code TN Tech, C dot O dot D dot E dot TN Tech, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, Crack the Code. We have a podcast that we do where we are changing the narrative and redefining the defined. And also, I would like to thank our advisory board, uh, Dr. Julie Baker, who is with us today, as well as Dr. LaVita Birdwell, Coach Marcus King, Mr. Tom Savage of the NAACP, as well as Chief Randy Evans of Cookville Law Enforcement. So we'd like to give a special shout out to everybody who helps us and helps the, the Code family progress in our endeavors. Thank you all for the time. Thank you. Thank you.